Praise the Lord. Well, we'll invite you to turn your Bibles to Matthew chapter 18. We want to make some comments before we get there, but um, you'll be ready when we do. Um, we've been, uh, I think for the last two months, we've been um, uh, teaching from uh, Dr. T.J. McCrossin's book, Bodily Healing in the Atonement. Uh, the book was first printed in 1930, went out of print for many years, and then it was reprinted um, uh, by Kenneth Hagin and Dr. Roy Hicks in 1982, I believe it is. And in his book, Dr. McCrossin, who was a, um, uh, one of, if not the most renowned uh, Greek scholars of his day, uh, Dr. McCrossin takes some of the things that we take for granted, some of the scriptures that we take for granted, and goes through and, and really opens them up according to the, to the Greek language and brings out a lot of meaning that, uh, that we miss sometimes, at least I do, from, uh, from the, uh, the, the King James English. And uh, so we've been going through, and Dr. McCrossin's uh, premise, he establishes six reasons uh, why all of God's children today should expect Him to heal their sickness. And before we get to number six, today, tonight we want to cover the last one, but before that we'll remind you of the other five. Number one was because God used to heal the sick as Jehovah Rapha, the Lord our healer, and he's the same yesterday, today, and forever. Reason number two was because Christ died on the cross to atone for our sicknesses just as he died to atone for our sins. Reason number three, because all sickness is the result of Satan's work when he introduced sin into this world. And Christ was manifested to destroy the works of the devil. Reason number four was because the very same Holy Spirit is in the church today who did all of Christ's miracles and all of Paul's miracles. The same Holy Spirit who raised Christ from the dead. Since this is true, why should we not expect him still to heal the sick? The fifth reason was because of Christ's last great commission in Mark chapter 16 verses 15 through 18 where he commissioned the, uh, the believers, these signs shall follow, go into all the world and preach the gospel, and these signs shall follow them that believe in my name. And one of those signs is they shall lay hands on the sick, and the sick shall recover. And secondly, because of his direct command in James chapter 5, verses 14 and 15, where he said, is any sick in the church? Is any sick among you? Talking to the church. Let them call for the elders of the church, and let them, the elders, pray over them, anointing with oil in the name of the Lord, and the prayer of faith shall save the sick, and the Lord shall raise him up. Tonight I want to talk to you about the sixth reason, the sixth and final reason that Dr. McCrossin goes into, and that is very simply because of his marvelous promises, the fulfillment of which depends altogether upon the exercise of our own faith. Now, the first five, we, we went into great detail over the, the last, I think it's been about eight weeks. It may, have been, it may have been even longer than that. I know I took several of his reasons and and uh, didn't have time to cover them all, so I'd stretch them out from week to week. But I think it's about, been about eight, maybe ten weeks. But we've identified and we've proven from the Bible itself each and every one of those uh, reasons, those statements that he makes to such a degree that, that Dr. McCrossin, at least, and we, we tried to emulate him, Dr. McCrossin went forward and, uh, and used the very same Greek language to identify where so much so that anybody that was honest and a scholar or an understander, someone that understands the Greek language, would have to agree, would have to identify, would have to come to the conclusion that where the Bible talks about Jesus taking your sins or your griefs and your sicknesses, for example, upon him, that has to do with sicknesses and bodily afflictions. But now he goes further in, in, uh, in this last point as if none of the other five were true. If none of the other five reasons were accurate, if none of the other five reasons or, or statements or propositions that he lays out could be proven, this last one could still, without a shadow of a doubt, based on language and based on doctrine, be the absolute proof that healing belongs to every Christian today. Now the Bible says, in the mouth of two or three witnesses, let every word be established. So let's look at a few. Let's take a couple of examples. Turn with me to Matthew chapter 18. I think I told you to go there already. Matthew chapter 18, Jesus is speaking to his disciples. These are certainly scriptures that belong to the believer, certainly scriptures that belong to the church. Any Christian should be able to operate on these scriptures. These are not exclusive to the apostles. Nobody is going to preach that only Jesus said this to the apostles. You know, some of the church world will say that the healing power was given to the apostles, but when they died, it was all done away with. Nobody, nobody is going to claim that what Jesus said to the disciples was exclusive for them in this case what we're going to read 
but that it belongs to everybody in the church. Notice in Matthew chapter 18 and verse 19. Jesus said, Again I say unto you, that if two of you shall agree on earth as touching anything that they shall ask, it shall be done for them of my Father which is in heaven. Now the question is, does anything include bodily healing? He said, if two of you shall agree as touching anything here on the earth, what does anything mean? If you didn't know one word, if you didn't know one scripture regarding physical healing in the, in the, 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 the Old Testament scriptures that point to Jesus or the New Testament letters to the church, if you didn't know one thing that the Bible said about healing, could you or would you not naturally, especially if you're sick, would you not naturally be drawn to this promise of God and include in that promise healing for the physical body. Or physical healing for the body, I should say. If two of you shall agree as touching anything, if anything includes physical healing, then take Christ as your healer. Let's look at another example. Look with me to, um, well, let's go next to Matthew chapter 21. We're close by there, so we'll just keep it close. Matthew chapter 21, verse 22. Jesus said, and all things, all things, A-double-L. Like Brother Terry Mize said, the longest word in the Bible, all things. And all things, whatsoever you shall ask in prayer, believing, you shall receive. Now, folks, it, it, I mean, it's, let's just be real. Does all things include physical healing? Is there anybody that has the right to take Jesus' words and say, well, the all things means everything but physical healing? I certainly don't. Do you? Do you know of any other individual? I don't care what letters are behind their name. I don't care how many schools they've been to or how long they stayed there. Does anybody have the right to say all things does not mean physical healing? Jesus said, and all things... Whatsoever you shall ask in prayer. Now, there's a qualifier. Believing, you shall receive. If all things in Matthew 21, verse 22, includes physical healing, then take Jesus as your healer. Look with me over to Mark chapter 11. Mark chapter 11. Some of the Gospels are re, uh, relate some of the same stories, some relate some of the same scriptures, some relate some of the same principles. But folks, please realize that the Holy Ghost gave you duplicates because He wants to make sure that you understand. Don't look at a scripture that may be in Matthew, Mark, and Luke, and maybe even in John, all four Gospels, and say, well, that's just the same scripture. It's not. It's four times the Holy Ghost is trying to get across the truth to you. Mark chapter 11, verse 20. 2 through 24, Jesus answering said unto them, Have faith in God. For verily I say unto you, that whosoever shall say... Now, you know, we, we get to where we just kind of read things religiously. Verily I say unto you, we think that's just him saying, now, now listen. That's not what verily I say unto you means. It means this is a true statement and you better pay attention. Verily I say unto you, this is Jesus almost swearing by himself. He's saying this is the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth. That's what verily means. And sometimes he said verily, verily. For verily I say unto you that whosoever, notice that whosoever, not just the special ones, but that whosoever shall say unto this mountain, Be thou removed, and be thou cast into the sea, and shall not doubt in his heart, but shall believe, if he's talking about not doubting in your heart, must be talking about believing in your heart, but shall believe that those things which he saith shall come to pass, he shall have whatsoever he saith. Shall is the strongest word he can use. He said, if you meet the conditions, you will have what you say. Verse 24, he goes on to tell us about prayer. Verse 23 doesn't say one word about prayer. Verse 23 just tells you, tells you the principle of faith, believe in your heart and say with your mouth and get supernatural results. But 24, verse 24 tells us about faith in prayer. And therefore I say unto you, what things soever you desire... Now, folks, would what things soever you desire include physical healing? It sure would if you were sick. 
I've never met anybody that was sick that didn't desire to be well. Have you? Jesus said, what things soever you desire. Now, did he say, except for healing. Now, you guys know I'm not talking about physical healing. Why wouldn't he be talking about physical healing? He's healing the sick. He's commissioned them to heal the sick. He's empowered them to heal the sick. Why wouldn't he be talking about healing the sick? Why wouldn't he be talking about physical healing? What things soever. Therefore, I say to you, what things soever you desire, when you pray, here's the qualifier, here's the condition, believe that you receive them, meaning the things that you desire, whatever those things are, believe that you receive them and you shall have them. Them what? The things that you desire. So he's saying that you can have what things soever you desire. Now, who has the right to say that that does not include healing for the physical body? I don't. Do you? A lot of people do. Who did God give the right to change his words? He gave you the right to believe his words. He gave you the choice whether or not you would choose to, whether you would choose to accept it or not. You could accept or reject, but he gave nobody. There's nobody on the face of the earth. There never has been anybody on the face of the earth that God gave the right to change his words. In fact, the Bible says that there's a real curse on those that try. Let's look at another one. If, all, if whatsoever things you desire includes physical healing, then receive Jesus as your healer. Let's look at another one. Look at uh, John chapter 14. John chapter 14. Let's look at the 13th and the 14th verse. Jesus, again, speaking to his disciples, he said, And whatsoever you shall ask. Now, the word ask means to call for, require, or demand. Now, I, I really wish that the King James had not translated this ask because ask means to so many Christians, ask means to beg and keep begging and hope that God does something. But that's not what it means at all. It means to place a demand on. Now, some people hear this, to call for, require, or to demand, and they get some kind of wrong attitude toward God in their mind. They get a mental picture of somebody with a wrong attitude toward God in their mind and, and, and that's, that's trying to force God to do something. Well, that's not what it's talking about at all. How many of you have checking accounts at the bank? Many of you? Most of you? Okay, the rest of you, you just don't have any money? What's your problem? <laughs> Every one of us that have a checking account at the bank, when we write a check, we're placing a demand on that account. Now, I don't know about you, but I don't write checks with bad attitude. Do you? I don't write a check and, and, and work myself up into some arrogant position when I do it. Do you? No, it doesn't have anything to do with attitude. It has to do with a legal transaction. And that's exactly what Jesus is describing. He says, if you place a demand on my name, I'll do it. Now, folks, everything that's got an on and off switch, you place a demand on it every time you turn it on. Light switch, flip the light switch, you're placing a demand on electricity. Attitude doesn't factor into it. You turn on the coffee maker at your house, you've placed a demand on the service that that coffee maker provides. You turn on the, the air conditioner or the heater in your home, you're making a demand on that service, whether it be heat or cool. Everything that has an on-off switch, you are calling for it to perform when you turn it on. You are requiring its service when you turn it on. You are placing a demand on whatever it does whenever you turn it on. And that's what Jesus is describing. I think some people just try to ignore the truth of what Jesus is saying by trying to criticize other people and try to put it off on, well, those name it and claim it people. We used to be name it and claim it people. I haven't heard that in a while. One of my favorite things that people used to say but just because it's so stupid, is they say, well, those name and claim it people, they treat God like he's a cosmic bellhop, just running around performing whatever they say. Well, folks, that's, as Brother Hagin used to say, that's ignorance gone deceived. That's not what Jesus is saying. Jesus is saying, I'm giving you something that is of great value, but you have to put a demand on it. You've got to turn it on. You've got to flip the switch. So what is he saying? Well, back to, to, to verse 13. And whatsoever, how big is whatsoever? Is whatsoever possibly concerned or including, inclusive of physical healing? Well, if you need it, it is. 
to the sick, that's the first thing they think of. And whatsoever you shall call for, require, or demand in my name. Whatever you turn the switch on in my name, that's what I'll do. Why? That the Father may be glorified in the Son. Folks, please understand that when you place a demand on the name of Jesus, whether it's for physical healing or any other blessing of God, when you place a demand on the name of Jesus, God is glorified through Jesus. Kind of goes in the face of the argument that some people put forth that they're suffering for the glory of God, suffering sickness for the glory of God. The Bible never says that. The Bible says when you put a demand on healing, when you put a demand on the blessings of God, that's when God is glorified. God's glorified in healing, not in sickness. We've already proven by, beyond a shadow of a doubt that sickness is not of God's. God did not create sickness. God finished everything He made on the earth in six days. You can't find sickness in any one of those six days. He finished His creation and said, this is very good and sickness is nowhere to be found. Sin is nowhere to be found. If it wasn't made in those first six days, it's not of God. Well, where did sin and sickness come from? When Adam and Eve fell, when they disobeyed God and obeyed what Satan said instead of what God told them to do. Disobedience opened the door to sin and it's twin sickness. And ever since, sickness has been in the earth. Sickness is not of God. Bible says in Acts 10.38 how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Ghost and power who went about doing good and healing. God must have known that some people were going to say healing wasn't good. Who went about doing good and healing. Who did He heal? All that were oppressed of the devil for God was with Him. So it tells us that everybody Jesus healed was oppressed of the devil. How could the Bible make that statement? Because sickness is always from the devil. Yeah, but Pastor Mike, I just don't know if Jesus wants me to be healed or not. Find me anywhere where anyone came to Jesus in his earthly ministry and Jesus had to stop and hit a knee and say, I need to pray and find out if it's God's will for you or not. Yet that's what most of the church does. That's the action, the first action of most of the church world. Well, let's, let's pray. Let's see if it's the will of God. Or they won't even go that far. They'll say, I tell you what, we'll pray for your healing and if it works, then it was the will of God. And if it doesn't work, then it wasn't the will of God. Does that line up with anything Jesus is saying here? And whatsoever you shall call for or require or demand in my name, that will I do. Now, Jesus is talking to them about the day after he goes, the day after his resurrection. He's talking to them about the day that we live in. And he said, whatever you put a demand on in the name of Jesus, he does it. He does it. This is fulfilled in Acts chapter 3 when the Peter and John minister to the crippled guy at the beautiful gate of the temple. And it tells us that when they were questioned about this, they said, we didn't do it of our own power. That does away with the notion that the apostles had special power. They said it's not by some special power that we have or holiness of our own. We don't have anything that anybody else has. Well, what is it? He said it was the name of Jesus through faith in His name that did the work even by Him, Jesus. Does this man stand here before you whole? What did they do? They commanded him in the name of Jesus to rise. They placed a demand on the name of Jesus and Jesus did it. That's what they said. We put a demand on the name of Jesus and Jesus did the healing work. Just like Jesus said it would work. And whatsoever you shall call for or require or demand in my name, that will I do. He didn't say, I'll think about it. He didn't say, your chances are better if you use my name. He said, that will I do. You flip the switch... The power comes on. Now, folks, we operate that way in the natural realm. You go home and flip the switches on, the light switches on in your house. If they don't come on, you're going to say, hey, what's wrong? What's keeping this thing from working the way it's supposed to? You expect it to work. Why don't we expect the name of Jesus to work? Jesus has more power than Edison. Why don't we expect the name of Jesus to work? Well, I'm glad you're excited about all this. And whatsoever you shall call for, require, or demand in my name, that will I do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you shall ask anything. Now, please don't try to explain to me that that does not include physical healing. Anything means anything. If you shall ask anything. 
anything. Well, let's just plug it in since healing is the, the topic for our, this uh, healing service, this healing school service. If you shall ask healing in my name, I will do it. You put a demand on healing, and healing will be yours. Folks, this has to include physical healing. It's not limited to it, but it has to include physical healing. And since it does, receive Jesus as your healer. Let's look at another example. Turn with me over to John chapter 15. I love this one. I love them all. But I really like this one because God said things in such a way that always cuts the devil off at the pass. See, the devil, if you take an inch, he'll fight you for the next step. Anytime you take a step forward in the Word of God, he will fight you, he will stop you, he will do everything he can to try to dissuade you from going further. For example, if you believe God will meet your needs, he'll tell you that he won't provide for your wants. If you decide, the Bible says, my God shall supply all of my needs according to his riches and glory, then the devil will fight you over whether or not you can have anything over what you need. If your monthly bills are, are $2,000 a month, you better not try to believe for 2005 because that's where the devil will tell you you're greedy. He'll always try to cut you off, but the word of God always cuts him off. John 15, verse 7. Jesus said, If you abide in me and my words abide in you, you shall ask what you will, and it shall be done unto you. You shall ask what you will, and it shall be done unto you. Now, folks, think about this. Do you think Jesus was standing there making these promises, felt really good about his service after the disciples, you know, finished with the disciples, went to the cross, and then got to heaven and realized, oh, my goodness, people could take that to mean healing. Jesus had enough experience with sick people to know that what they will is to be well. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, still conditional, everything with God's conditional. And it's always conditioned on his word. Always. Why? Well, where healing is concerned, particularly, Psalm 107, verse 20 says he sent his word and healed them. So healing always comes through the word. Now, you can look at that a number of ways. You can look at, that, look at that as Jesus was the Word made flesh, or you can look at that as the written Word. Both are true. He sent His Word and healed them. Don't expect to receive healing if you're not willing to take the Word as truth. And that's where a lot of Christians bail out. Well, I, I, I don't know. I, Pastor Mike, you're talking about this faith stuff. I, I, I don't know about that faith stuff. I just want God to do the work. Well, He will if you'll believe. But that's what that faith stuff is all about. It's about believing. The Bible tells you how. Here Jesus said, If you abide in me and my words abide in you, you shall ask what you will. Who could possibly convince us that that would not include physical healing? You shall ask what you will, and it shall be done unto you. Let's look at one more, and then we'll go a little bit further. 1 John chapter 3. 1 John chapter 3. Now this is written to the church. So were the Gospels, but some people will just try to limit that to the disciples. But 1 John chapter 3, in verse, eh, where do we want to start? How about verse 22? It says, and whatsoever, here's one of those all-inclusive words again, and whatsoever we shall ask, we receive of him because we keep his commandments. Now remember, in the New Covenant, there's only one commandment. Jesus said in, in John's gospel, he said, A new commandment I give unto you that you love one another. So keeping his commandments just simply means walking in love. Interesting that Galatians chapter 6, verse 5, I think it is, says faith works by love. In other words, faith works by obedience to the New Testament commandment of love. So he said, Whatsoever we ask, we receive of him because we keep his commandments and do those things that are pleasing in his sight. Now, people look at those at different things. Oh, see, that's, don't, that's going to be tough because you're going to have to find all the things that please God and, and, and unless you can find everything that pleases God, if you miss it in just one little area, then that's it for you, buddy. That's not what he means. The Bible says in Hebrews eleven six, it says without faith it's impossible to please God. So he's telling you what the two elements are. Walk in love and operate in faith. He said those are the conditions 
to walk in love and operate in faith. And under those conditions, he said, whatsoever we ask, we receive of him. Because we keep his conditions. We walk in love and we operate in faith. What is faith? Faith is believing his word to be true. Believing his word to be true. Now, folks, if bodily healing was not in the atonement, if Jesus did not, if Isaiah 53 was not there, if it did not tell us that surely Jesus took our infirmities and bore our sicknesses, if it did not tell us that he was wounded for our transgressions, bruised for our iniquities, the chastisement of our peace, that's well-being, that's the word shalom, Hebrew word shalom means well-being in every area. It includes physical, I mean, uh, financial provision, but it includes everything else too. The chastisement of our peace was upon him, and with his stripes we are healed. If none of those scriptures in the Old Testament were there, if no indication was given to us in Scripture that Jesus paid a price for our physical well-being along with the saving of the soul, so to speak, literally the, the forgiveness of sins, if the Bible gave us no indication whatsoever about that, you've still got promises of God, New Testament promises of God that without refute include healing for the physical body. Yeah, but Pastor Mike, I've, I've asked. I, I've, I've, I've asked. You don't understand. I've prayed. I've tried to turn that switch on that, that, that Jesus was talking about. I've put a demand. I, I've done those things. I've used his name. I've done all those things. We'll turn with me over to James chapter 1, and let's make sure we all understand what the requirements are. James chapter 1. James, the book of James is really interesting. A lot of people don't like the book of James because it, uh, well, it talks about how you live, not just doctrine and theory. A lot of people would rather just stick with doctrine and theorize about spiritual things and that be it. But James is talking from a pastoral position, and he, know, he knows that there's a difference between what people say they believe and the way people live. Now, in James chapter 1, let's start reading in verse 2. Verse 7 is really where we want to get down to. But to get the context, notice what he says. He says, My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into diverse temptations. The word temptation means test, trial, and affliction. He says you need to count it joy when you're going through a hard time. Now, why do you need to count it joy when you're having a tough time? Because it's not very joyful. He's telling you to maintain an attitude of rejoicing when it's tough. Maintain an attitude of rejoicing when it's tough. Now, most Christians, when it's tough, that's when they whine and complain. That's why the Bible gives you instruction to do otherwise, something other than what you're naturally inclined to do. Now, he'll tell you why. He says, here's the way to do it. Here's the way to count it all joy, knowing this. And folks, if you don't know this, you'll never count it joy. Knowing this, that the trying of your faith worketh patience. But let patience have her perfect work, that you may be perfect and entire, wanting nothing. Now, let me read this to you from a modern-day translation. James chapter 1, verse 3. Knowing this, that the trying of your faith, the interruption of your faith's victory, worketh patience. But let patience have her perfect work, that victory may be fully restored. I like that. Knowing this, that the trying of your faith, the trying of your faith is the interruption of faith's victory. Even the way that it speaks to it it, 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 it implies that it's just a temporary thing. And that's what the Holy Ghost is trying to tell you through, the, through, the, through James' writings. Count it all joy when you fall into diverse temptations. John Osteen used to make a statement that I loved. I remembered it. There are so many hard places in life that I come back to that over and over and over again. He said this. He said, the Bible speaks time and time again a very, very significant phrase. And that phrase is, it came to pass. First time I heard that, I thought, and he paused and he waited for everybody to get it, and I'm thinking, what? And then he said, it doesn't say it came to stay. It said it came to pass. Now, I understand he's taking a little bit of liberties with the Scripture there, but it's a great thought because there's nothing the devil brings to you that can stay unless you let it stay. And James is trying to tell you how to not let it stay, how to keep it from staying. How do you do that? Count it joy. Knowing this, that it's just temporary. It's just him trying to figure out what you're really made of. But if you let patience have a perfect work, how do we do that? By counting it joy. 
by remaining joyful, having a joyful attitude. Not because God brought this on to us. He didn't. God didn't bring trouble on you. But God delivers you from trouble. The Bible says the afflictions, many of the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivers them out of them all. A lot of people know the first half of that verse. Many of the afflictions of the righteous. But the Lord delivers them out of them all. Well, you may be in the affliction part of that verse, but don't worry. Just count it joy because the Lord delivers you out of them all. That's what James is saying. Count it all joy when you fall into diverse temptations, knowing this, that the trying of your faith worketh patience. But let patience have her perfect work, that you may be perfect and entire, wanting nothing. Wanting nothing. That means not lacking anything. That means coming out on top. That means having restored whatever it is that you're having a tough time over now. I'm so glad you're excited about this. I, I can tell I'm just getting hitting right home there, aren't I? I hope you're letting it soak in. I, I don't really care if you say amen. I don't need amens. But I hope you're letting it sink in. Because that's what James is saying by the Holy Ghost. He goes further and says in verse 5, If any of you lack wisdom. Now this is interesting that he talk about being in a tough place and then asking for wisdom. Or lacking wisdom. He said, If any of you lack wisdom, let him ask of God that giveth to all men and upbraideth not, and it shall be given him. What wisdom is he talking about? Don't we just need wisdom all the time? Well, sure. Not only that, but Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 1 and verse 30 that Christ has made unto you wisdom. In other words, there's a wisdom that belongs to you because Jesus lives on the inside of you. You don't even have to ask for it. Furthermore, the Bible says that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, meaning the more you meditate in the Word, the more you pursue the Word of God, the more you put the Word of God on the inside of you, the more wisdom grows. We don't have to pray for that. That just comes by putting the Word in application. So why is James talking about asking for wisdom? Wisdom, as a general subject, doesn't come by asking for it. It comes by putting the Word in your heart. It comes by being a doer of the Word in your heart. So why is James talking about asking for wisdom? He's talking about it in the hard place that you're going through. He's literally saying, if you don't know what to do in the middle of this hard place that you're experiencing, ask God. Well, what good is that going to do, James? Because God giveth to all men liberally and upbraideth not. God's not going to get on to you and say, you stupid thing. Why do you not know what to do in this situation? He's just going to show you what to do. So he's talking about wisdom in the middle of your hard place. And then he goes further and says in verse 6, But, but, everybody say but. But, let him ask in faith. In other words, no whining, no moaning, no groaning. Let him ask in faith. Now what is faith? Faith is expecting that what God said to be true. It means you expect that whatever promise you have from God, whatever instruction you have from God, whatever God's Word says is true, is really true and will really come to pass. That's what faith is. Faith is just simply believing God's Word. We get spiritual about things and try to put it into, into to real uh, beautiful terms and stuff like that. But folks, if you've got faith in your neighbor, you just believe what he said is true. If you've got faith in a friend, that means when they tell you something, you accept it as truth. You believe they're telling you the truth. That's it. And if somebody tells you something that is to your benefit, for example, if your neighbor says, hey, I bought an extra one of such and such, and I'm going to bring it to you this evening. You believe they're going to bring it to you, right? If your friend or your, your co-worker or whatever goes further and says, hey, I got something for you, and I left it for you at the counter to pick up. What do you do? If you have faith in them, you go to the counter to get it. In other words, you believe what they said so much that you act on what they promise. That's faith. That's all faith is. We can put it in flowery terms, but that's all it is where God's concerned. You believe what God said is true, and so you act like it's true. That's it. So he says, If any of you lack wisdom, let him ask of God, which giveth to all men liberally and upbraideth not, but let him ask in faith. Nothing wavering. What does nothing wavering mean? It means none of this, well, I don't know. I know the Bible says that by Jesus' stripes we were healed, but uh, I just don't know. I know the Bible says that God will supply all of my needs according to His riches and glory, but man, you just can't tell with what's going on with the economy nowadays. That's wavering. The Bible says that won't get it done. But let him ask in faith, nothing wavering, for, he describes the man that wavers, for he that wavers 
is like a wave of the sea driven with the wind and tossed. In other words, the circumstances change its direction. The person that wavers is moved by the circumstances. If the stock market is up one day, they think, okay, maybe God can meet my needs. If the stock market goes down the next day, they think, oh, woe is me, what are we going to do? They're moved by circumstances. If they wake up feeling good after they prayed for healing, they think, yeah, okay, it's working. But then if they wake up the next day and they feel bad, they think, I don't know why God didn't hear me. That's the man that's wavering. Because his faith, his action, his belief is based on what he sees or what he feels instead of what God's Word says. So he says, let him ask in faith, nothing wavering. That means you've got to decide to accept the Word of God as true no matter what it seems like, no matter what you've ever been taught, no matter how long you've had what you've got. Now who makes that decision? You or God? You do. Let him ask in faith, nothing wavering. For he that wavers is like a wave of the sea driven with the wind and tossed. Verse 7, for let not that man think that he shall receive anything of the Lord. Now folks, we've been talking about whatsoever you shall ask. If you ask anything in my name, talking about what anything means. What does this anything mean? The point I'm trying to make is he's gone from specifically asking for wisdom in the middle of your trouble to the principle whereby you can receive or fail to receive anything from God. Well, if anything in John chapter 14 meant physical healing, then anything in James chapter 1 has to mean physical healing too. And he says, let not that man, the man that's moved by the circumstance, the man that makes his decision based on how he feels or what he sees. Let not that man think that he shall receive anything from the Lord. Not only is he not going to have wisdom if he operates that way, he's not going to have wisdom in the middle of his trouble, which is where so much of the church world is. They're in trouble and they're wondering, why doesn't God deliver me? Because they won't get in faith. Because they won't ask for what they need, believing his word to be true. And the Bible says that a person in that condition won't get anything from God. That's exactly the same reason why so many Christians fail to receive their healing. Because they pray, they beg, they moan, they groan. Oh, God, please, you know how much I want this. You know how much it hurts. Well, folks, i got news for you. The Bible says Jesus is touched with the feelings of your infirmities, but He's only moved by your faith. He's not moved by your pain. He feels your pain with you, but He's only moved by your faith. I think too much of the church is trying to move God with their feelings. And that doesn't move God. We just read over in 1 John chapter 3. Whatsoever we shall ask of the Lord, we receive of Him if we keep His commandments, walk in love, and do that which is pleasing in His sight. Well, faith is necessary to please God. The Bible says it's impossible to please God without it. So if you're praying outside of or apart from faith, believing His word to be true, your prayer cannot be pleasing to God. He can't answer it. He can't violate his own word to answer. Let not that man, the man that wavers, think that he shall receive anything from the Lord. Now, folks, let me, let me, um, let me take a little sidetrack here. Turn with me over to Revelation chapter 1. Revelation chapter 1, look at verse 6 with me. While you're turning there, let me make a, a statement, and I hope you see this. Any and every Greek scholar that's honest would have to recognize by the wording in the original text in the Greek language, by the wording in the original text where the Bible identifies, if you ask anything in my name, whatsoever you shall ask in my name, and things, phrases to that effect, there's no way you can qualify that, there's no way you can modify that, there's no way you can alter that to exclude physical healing. The Bible speaks of it in too many places, in too many ways. It has to include anything. And healing is a thing. Therefore, without a shadow of a doubt, any honest person, even scholars, even the ones that say they know what the Bible really means because they know the Greek, anybody that's honest has to recognize that the responsibility for receiving comes upon the individual and not God. 
That means if you're praying, looking for God to do the work without you taking the position and meeting the conditions that he establishes, you're wasting your time thinking. You're wasting your time hoping that God's going to do something. And that's where so much of the church world is. Let me ask you this. Why is the faith message, I hate to call it that, but why is the so-called faith message so maligned in the body of Christ? If you were the devil, think of it from this standpoint. If you were the devil, (laughs) some of you are close. If you, if you were the devil, I'm just teasing. I love all you people. You're Sunday night Christians. You're you're the you're the good group. You're the you're the ones really going to heaven. Um, if you were the devil and you knew that faith was the necessary, the critical ingredient for somebody to receive, what better way would you have to keep people out of the blessings of God than to attack faith? You think that's not what's going on in the body of Christ today? You think that's not exactly why so much of the modern day church is stirred up into, oh, well, this faith stuff, that confession stuff, that doesn't work, that's not right. Well, of course it's right. Jesus said it was. You've got to take verses out of the Bible to, go, to get away from believing in your heart and saying with your mouth. And the people that are saying it are people that are saved that acted on the very same principle in order to get saved. But they say, well, that's where it stops. No, it doesn't. Faith is the same in every area. And faith is a necessary ingredient. Now, folks, did you find Revelation chapter 1? Notice Revelation chapter 1 and verse 6. The responsibility is on us. That's why we need to understand certain things. Revelation chapter 1 and verse 6. It says, uh, well, better read verse... uh, Better back up to verse 5. It says, And from Jesus Christ, who is the faithful witness and the first begotten of the dead. Notice first begotten. You are one of the second, third, or thousands after begotten. He was the first one, begotten of the dead, and the prince of the kings of the earth. Please notice that. The prince of the kings of the earth. The prince of the kings of the earth. Do you think that that's saying that Jesus is the prince of earthly rulers? He's the prince of the king of Tanzania or Zimbabwe or whatever, whatever countries have kings. Do you think that's what he's saying? He's not. Keep reading. He's the prince of the kings unto the earth, unto him that loved us and washed us from our sins in his own blood and has made us kings and priests unto God and his Father. Now let me ask you a question. It is shouting territory. But thank you for holding it back. Let me ask you a question. What do we know about kings? We had a revolution 200 and something years ago to get out from under a king. What do we Americans know about kings? Not a blessed thing. So for the American mind to try to interpret this without some help, without some scriptural help, is really stupid. We don't know anything about kings. The closest thing we know to know about kings is Queen Elizabeth over in England. What does she do? Nothing. And that seems to be the idea that most of the American church has about being kings and priests unto God. What does that mean? Well, pretty much nothing. It's just one of those things that when we get to heaven, that'll mean something to God, but, you know, who else knows what from there? Folks, this means something. It says that God, Jesus himself, made us kings and priests unto his Father. You are a king and a priest unto God. That's why the Bible says that Jesus is the high priest, because you're a lesser priest. And that's why the Bible says that Jesus is the king of kings because he's the king over you as a king. Now, let me show you some things that the Bible says about kings. Like I said, we don't know. Modern day, particularly the Western world, we know nothing about kings. What does it mean to be made a king unto God? Look with me over to Ecclesiastes chapter 8. Ecclesiastes chapter 8. I want you to see the third verse. Ecclesiastes chapter 8, verse 3. I'm going to quote it see how close I get. It says, Where the word of the king is, there is power. Verse 4, did I miss it? Verse 4. Ecclesiastes chapter 8, verse 4. Is that right? 
Where the word of the king is, there is power. Now look at the last part of the verse. And who may say, what doest thou? You know who the one that says, what doest thou? That's the devil and your relatives. And some of those are sometimes pretty close. You start making faith confessions, and the devil will say, what are you doing? That's not going to work. Your family or friends are going to say, what are you doing? Other Christians, sincere, well-meaning, not putting them down. But people that don't understand the principles of faith, people that don't know who they are in Christ, they'll say, what are you doing? What, what do you mean you're healed by the stripes of Jesus? Can't you see you're sick? Where the word of the king is, there is power. Where the word of the king is, there is power. We've been made kings and priests unto God. Where your word is, there is power. Proverbs 18, verse 21 says, Death and life are in the power of the tongue. Most people misquote that. They say the power of death and life are in the tongue. That's not what it says. It says death and life are in the power of the tongue. Where's the power? In your tongue. Death and life are in the words that you speak. That's where the power is. It's in the words that you speak. Now let me show you something else about being a king. Turn with me back to uh, Job chapter 22, I believe it is. Job chapter 22. Oh, Pastor Mike, you're not going to get in the book of Job, are you? Just the good stuff. It's amazing that Job is one of the most quoted or referred to books of the Bible, and the Bible really doesn't say much about it at all. But people just fawn over themselves about Job. Listen, anytime somebody asks you about the book of Job, ask them a question. When did Job, the book of Job and the occurrences in the book of Job happen? Nobody can tell you. Well, I don't know. What does that mean? Because you don't know what covenant Job was under, if any. And whatever covenant Job was under has everything to do with how he operated and what results he got. You can't put Job under Abraham's covenant. Why? Because he's not under Abraham's lineage. We've got a direct line. We've got absolute information about who was descended from Abraham. Job is not one of them. Some people believe that Job was a contemporary of Abraham. Some believe that Job was either preceding precedent of Abraham or he was at the same time as Abraham. Either one of them could be true. Well, if that's the case, what covenant was he operating under? If so, what were the rules of the covenant? Nobody's got that answer. Well, if you don't have that answer, how in the world can you explain the rest of the book? Yeah, well, I guess I'm just a modern-day Job. Hallelujah. That means God's going to restore unto you twice what you had to start with. That means you wind up healed and with twice the amount of stuff. Job 22. Look at verse 28. It said, Thou shalt also decree a thing, and it shall be established. Now, the word decree is really interesting. We know that kings make decrees. A decree from a king is an edict. It is something, he makes a statement, this is the way that it is, and then it becomes the law. The word decree in the Hebrew language, as it's translated here, is a very interesting word because it means several things. It means to cut down. It means to divide. It means to exclude. Or it can mean to decide. So he's saying, the Bible is saying, you can decree a thing. You can decide. You can make a decision. You can make a determination. Again, make the same statement we made before. You getting your prayers answers depends on, more on you than it does God. The responsibility is on the individual, not God. God's made an absolute declaration. You keep the conditions, I'll give you the answer. The responsibility is yours. The responsibility is mine. It belongs to the individual, not God. God's part is set and established. Nothing the devil can do can keep the promise of God, the reality of God's power from being yours if you fulfill the commandment or the condition. Excuse me. So that means you can make a decree. You can make a decision that will either stop things or make things happen. That's the word of the king. Where the word of the king is, there's power. 
It goes on to say, you shall decree a thing and it shall be established. You know what established means? Established means to be accomplished or to make good or to make come to pass. Your decree decides what's going to come to pass. Your decree decides what will be made good on. Now, how does all this fit? Well, folks, it fits in exactly with the principle of faith that brings healing to your physical body. Number, uh, better leave you this one too. Numbers chapter 14, verse 28. This is after the children of Israel have been led by Moses to the edge of the promised land. They're in Kadesh Barnea. Twelve spies go into the land. Ten of them come back with what the Bible says is an evil report. What is that evil report? The Bible identifies it very specifically in Hebrews as a report of unbelief. They said, God told us the land was good. We proved that. Here's all the stuff that we got there. But God said the land was ours. And it's not because there are giants in that land. It's too big for us. They're too strong for us. It can't be ours. It can't really be ours. Now, it's good. Oh, boy, it's good. It's a good land. It flows with milk and honey. It is everything God said it was. But it can't be ours because there are enemies in that land. And so they said, even though God said the land was ours, our eyes tell us, our circumstance, our experience tells us that it can't really be ours, so we're going to go with our experience. That's the very definition of the man that wavers. He's influenced by his circumstance, by what he sees, by what he feels. He said, that man that wavers, don't expect him to receive anything from the Lord. Why? Because he's in unbelief. The ten spies were in unbelief. And so, even though Caleb and Joshua were two of the twelve spies, and they said, yeah, we can do it. Don't listen to these guys. We can do this. Remember what God said. God killed the Pharaoh. He drowned the army in the, the Red Sea. Look, if he could do that, he could do this too. Don't rebel against God. By the way, unbelief is rebellion against God. It is saying God's word is not true. And that's rebellion. So it says that the 12 spies, the 10 of the 12 spies, caused all of Israel to, to, to lift up their voice. They went with the majority report, the majority opinion, which is very seldom ever right, by the way. And so they failed to take the promised land. Now, God speaks to Moses and says, All right, here's what's going to be. Numbers chapter 14 and verse 28. Notice what God said to tell Moses to tell the people. He said, as truly as I live. Please notice that phrase. Again, here's one of those verily type things that we read over and think that it's just in there for filler. But this, in my opinion, this is the most significant part of the verse because as truly as I live really means something. How true is it that God lives? What kind of existence does God have? He has an eternal existence. He's saying in the same way that there's no beginning to me and no end to me, this is a law that I'm establishing that will be true for eternity. He's not just making the law. He's just telling them what it is. It's been in effect since the beginning. It's the way he created the earth. He said, as truly as I live, saith the Lord, as, they, as I have heard them speak in my ears, so will I do unto them. What's he saying? What they decided to say is what they'll have. Folks, that's the principle of faith. That's why your words carry power. Because it's an unchanging law. Another translation says it's the oracle of God. It's the unchanging law of the universe. And it is. You need to understand something. Faith is the unchanging law of the universe. You better learn how to operate in faith here because you're going to need faith when you get to heaven. It's the way God operates. It's the way you'll have to operate there too. Now, I don't know how. I don't know in what way you'll use your faith. But faith is not something just to use here on the earth. It's something that will operate throughout eternity. The universe is governed by words. God created the universe with words. And He puts you here in His image. Meaning you're supposed to operate by words too. Just as He's a spirit being, you're a spirit being... He as a spirit being created the world with words and operates according to His word. You as a spirit being operate according to your words. That's why Jesus said you'll have what you say. Mark eleven twenty three. You'll have what you say. Folks, if you don't like what you got, check them on what you're saying. Because it's true for everybody, positive or negative. You'll have what you say. So we've been made. Let's, let's recap. Let's end with this. 
You've been made a king and a priest unto God. What's the significance of being made a king? Where the word of the king is, there's power. And nobody can say, what are you doing and why? Because you're the king. You're the one that has authority in your life. Now, you don't have authority over my life, but you've got authority in yours. You can't make declarations. Uh, Job 22, verse 28, you shall decree a thing, it shall be established. That means you in your own life. I can't decree a thing for you, and that's the way it's going to be. I don't have authority in your life. I don't come to your house and start rearranging furniture. I don't have authority there. Authority always has boundaries. It always has limits. God said to Adam, as the head of all of mankind, he said, let us create man in our own image and let them have dominion. He talked to Adam about having dominion, unlimited authority over the whole earth. Adam was literally the God of this world. I know that crossed some people and they don't like to look at it that way. But what it means is he had dominion over the work of God's hand and the work of God's hand was the whole earth. Adam had dominion over all the work of the earth. All of God's creation. Well, I don't have that dominion, do you? I don't have dominion over the earth. I've got dominion over my part of it. I've got authority and dominion up to the point where somebody else's dominion starts. I'm a king unto God and my territory is defined. You're a king unto God and your territory is defined. Your territory may butt right into mine. So mine stops where yours begins. But I have absolute authority where healing for my physical body is concerned. I have absolute authority over receiving the blessings of, of God, that which Jesus purchased with His own blood, and making them real in my own life. I have absolute authority there. What you think or what you say about that has nothing to do with what I have. And you've got authority in yours. So you shall decree a thing. You shall decree a thing. You shall decree a thing and it shall be established. Why? Because as you speak in God's ears, that's what you will have. That's why it's so important to confess the word, folks. That's why it's so important to say, by Jesus' stripes, I'm healed, no matter what it looks like or feels like in your body. When are you going to decide? That's the real question. When are you going to decide? So many times people are sitting back and they're saying, well, I'm just waiting for God to do it. He's waiting for you to decide. Because expectant faith, the kind of faith that pleases God, the kind of faith that receives, is the faith that decides God's word is true. Therefore, no matter how I feel, no matter what it looks like, no matter what the doctor has diagnosed, I was healed by the stripes of Jesus. My body may not know that yet, but I was. And the Word of God, the Bible says in Proverbs chapter 4, the Word of God is like medicine to all your flesh. If the doctor gives you new medicine, it may take a couple of days for it to get saturated into your bloodstream or whatever and start working, right? But you take the medicine and you say, oh, I'm so glad for this new medicine. You may not be able to tell one bit of difference, but you're so glad for the new medicine because he told you what it would do for you. Well, folks, I've got good news for you. The Word of God is medicine to your flesh. It's medicine to your flesh. You may not be able to tell when you first start taking it, but you just keep taking it and see what happens. Well, I've done it. I've preached me happy. Let's all stand. Let's make a couple of decrees. What do you say? You know, I love the scripture where it says that were certain people that came to Jesus or that were in the crowd where Jesus was, that they were sick of the palsy. It does not say sick with the palsy. It says sick of the palsy. I think that's significant. I think a lot of people have to get sick of their situation because when they get sick of their situations, that's when they decide. I've had enough of this. I've had situations, not physical healing uh, so much because I've been walking in health for a long time. But I've had other situations where the devil has just been punching my ticket over and over and over again. And finally, I just get tired of it and say, this is it. I'm done with this. And that's it. Well, why didn't you do that before? I don't know. Why did it take me having my head slapped up against the wall several times before I decided I've had enough of this? Why didn't I decide when it first showed up? Could have. Could have. What's it going to take for you to decide? Let's make a couple of decrees. What do you say? Close your eyes and raise one hand toward heaven. Say this after me. I decree, I decree and, declare and declare as a king and a priest, a and a priest where my word, my word is, is there, is power. there is power. Power in the name of Jesus, name of Jesus has, been has been given unto me. Therefore, Therefore I, decree I decree and declare, and declare in, the in the name of Jesus that I am healed, that I am healed 
from the top of my head to the soles of my feet. I decree in Jesus' name that sickness has no right to stay on my body. Sickness, go in Jesus' name. I declare that I walk in divine health according to the Word of God, according to the promises of God. I believe it's mine now. Healing is mine now. Now lift your other hand and thank Him because that's true. Yeah, but I don't feel it, Pastor Mike. That's why you need to thank Him in faith. That's why you need to bring the sacrifice of praise. Because if you operate according to what you can see and you feel, you'll never tap into faith. Faith is believing in the unseen. And it's just that simple. Oh, 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 I hope I can stay strong in faith. Just keep saying what the Bible says. How hard is that? The unchanging law of the universe, the eternal law of the universe is God will deal with you according to the words that you speak. So just keep saying, I'm healed by the stripes of Jesus. According to God's Word. The devil will come and he'll say, yeah, but you're lying because there's still sickness in your body. Then say it this way, according to the Word of God. I'm healed by the stripes of Jesus. Now if the devil tells you you're lying then, let him take it up with God who said it. According to the Word of God, I'm healed by the stripes of Jesus. Oh, Father, thank you. So good to walk in health. Thank you. Thank you, thank you, thank you. That the same faith that saves us is the faith that heals us. Just so simply accepting your word to be true and acting like it's so. According to your word, we are healed by the stripes of Jesus. Not going to be, are healed. We decree such a thing and it will be established in our lives and in our bodies. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. God bless you. Thank you for being with us.